much time as possible. Prophet Ed, please. Thank you. Amazing to me is when I watch Pastor Cindy online, those little short 60-second movies she does is so well done, well presented, excellent choice of words. She totally professional, almost like someone that's famous. And it's just, uh, I just, I, I stare at it and I think, whoa, amazing. And then thingamajiggy? Really? What in the world is that? A thingamajiggy. Okay, all right. We serve a very living and wonderful Savior. You know, I come from a Jewish family, and I wasn't raised Orthodox, but the, our culture still bled through a lot in what we did and how we approached the Word. And I th I th there's a whole different approach to God's Word. And I, in my latter years, I've tried to teach from my Jewish aspect to give people understanding. Because the Word of God has such a lot of rich things. For example, when Jesus talks about, he says, for example, he says, you forsake the law for your traditions. Remember Jesus said that? To the t and I know most of my Goy friends, my Gentile friends, don't know what that is even. Because Jews have a tradition. We have rabbis that are very specialized and have made a mark. They have different, different decades and different centuries. Every once in a while, a, a rabbi will pop up that's so amazing and a good teacher. And then he'll have revelation and it'll be passed down in a tradition. Those traditions come together in a book form we call the Mishnah. And they're almost like a, a book we live from. It's such a lot of intensity in there. To give you an idea, one of the traditions that was handed down that's become a lifestyle, one of the rabbis discovered years ago the scripture that said it's cruel to boil a calf in its mother's milk. And from that, it is so in the whole of Israel, you will never have dairy products with meat, ever. You'll always have an evening, you'll have meat and no dairy. In the mornings, you'll have fish and plenty of dairy. It's just the way the culture is from that one tradition. And that's how it was handed down. And that's what it means when Jesus says, you forsake the law for your tradition. You take this above God's word. And that's the under just one little example I'm giving you today. But I heard now my wonderful sister talk about offering. And I know my Gentile friends don't really grasp the preciousness to God of offerings and what it means. People get very uh, tight when it comes to money uh, for various reasons, and it's been misused in God's kingdom. People have made themselves wealthy and done wrong things with money. But it doesn't change God's principles. For Jews, we don't debate whether tithing is even an issue. Because tithing was long before there was ever a nation called Israel. In fact, it was already Abraham introduced tithing as a spiritual act of, of honoring the priesthood of Melchizedek, who was a priest and a king. And I could really elaborate on that, but I'm not going to. So we don't talk about tithing. We just do it. It's a part of our lives. But then we have, and you Gentiles talk a lot about sowing and reaping. And I've noticed that a lot of Gentiles have no idea how that really works. Uh, because it's the strangest thing. I, I used to watch farmers go to what we call a co-op in Southern Africa, and they would buy seed, and they would buy a, spend a lot of money buying seeds. And if their crop fails, they lose all the money and investments of diesel they use for their, for their tractors and all the work they put into it. So they've got to be very careful how they plant their seed. But I've watched someone buy seed, and they'll, they'll ask, I need this much seed. They'll buy a certain quality seed. They want to have a certain 
harvest. And he'll ask, well, how much do you need? And he'll calculate his land that he wants to sow this year. And by that, you'll say, I'll need this much. I need, this is how much land I want. Oh, you'll need this many tons of seed. Well, I can't afford that. I'll just buy half of that and I'll just spread it out. No, they have to, you, can, you have to determine the amount of seed that you use by the harvest you want. And the thing that disturbs me about my Christian brethren is they're not even aiming at a harvest. I never see them looking, waiting for a harvest. You've been sowing seed. I just want to sow a seed. Well, you're just sowing into the wind. What is that seed for? And what are, you, what are you looking to harvest? You're never going to get a healing if you sow a seed. A seed, you get what you sow. God is not mocked. That's a very serious statement. God is not mocked. What a man, not a Christian, anyone sows, anybody, you're going to reap. Amen. Now, you'll notice here in California... High on bridges, you'll drive those bridges high up, and there's these massive weeds growing higher than a car that nobody planted. Nobody watered, and it's thriving. Bad seed grows anywhere. So when you sow bad seed of hatred, anger, unforgiveness, gossip, slander, it comes back in a hurry. But when you're sowing good seed, you've got to take great care where you sow it, how you sow it, how you nurture it. And you must be looking and anticipating your harvest. You don't get back the same amount you're sowing, ever. You get back a whole lot more than you're sowing. And I'm anxious that my family of God start harvesting. You need to start harvesting. You're not meant to be poor. Now, here in America, I believe one of our obstacles in being a harvester is our mismanagement. I've never seen such bad credit and bad management of finance in my life anywhere. In America, people live on credit. You get credit cards in the mail you didn't even ask for. And you tear them up and they come again. They keep coming. Eventually, you'll, I'll just use it this Christmas because I'll pay it off. And 10 years later, you still have the credit card in your wallet. And it's 18 or 24%. But you can't give God 10 and, you see, and what happens is, and then I'm, I'm also fascinated by Christians that, that refinance their house. That's the thing that boggles my mind. I thought, Gentiles, how could you not realize that when you buy a house, however low your interest is, you be, well, if your house is $100,000, when you've paid your house off, you've paid $300,000. You've paid more than double for your house because of interest. And the first 10 years is all interest. It takes a long time for that compound to work off, that you start taking more of the capital. And just when it's starting to take the capital, now you refinance. How brain damaged can you be? Because now you're doing more interest. You're making the bank more rich by paying more. Yeah, your payments are low, but they're longer. It's, it's foolishness. So why I'm telling you this is not to criticize or make fun of you, but for you to be rewarded by God and blessed, you've got to become better stewards. Amen. We're now facing Christmas, and it's the most bizarre time we spend money we don't have on things nobody wants. We have, do we, have, we have gift receipts because it's a culture to take back stuff that we don't want. And people just buy stuff and randomly, and that's not wise. We've got to find a different way to do those things that's wise and manage the money so God can trust us with blessing. God says the poor will always be among you, not some of you. It was never the God's intention that you be poor, ever. But you're supposed to help the, help the poor. And you can't help them if you're not blessed yourself. Amen. And so I'm appealing to you to let God help you and 
one of the things I like to teach is, is to, when you, ha you have to make debt to buy a house or a car, but make war in it in your mind. Let it become something you fight. In other words, every time you get money, extra discretionary money, don't look how you can spend it somewhere else. Start fighting that debt. Pay it off as much as and quick as you can because it'll empower you. When you've paid off your car and your house, you are empowered incredibly. And then when you, God blesses you financially, you can do things you couldn't dream. God wants to bless you. There's no question. So sowing a seed, there should be an expectancy of a harvest. But what I want to tell you about from a Jewish point of view, and she mentioned the word offering. And I realized that a lot of Christians don't know what offering is. You can't even give an offering if you haven't tithed. Because while you're giving offerings and you haven't tithed, that's all God's money, but all God's tithe anyway. And so the offering is something very different. When you sow a seed, you know what to expect. I'm getting that harvest. That's what I'm getting back. Ten times, hundred times, I'm getting back what I've been sowing. But when you give, a, when you give an offering, it's something very different. It's an act of love. It's an act of, of recognition. It's an act of appreciation. It's something precious and holy to God. An offering. When you bring an offering to God, David said, I will not give to God that which cost me nothing. I must feel the sacrifice. And they were flippantly joking about how it, the kind of check you write, how much you write. But God doesn't look at the amount. He looks at the sacrifice involved. Amen. Amen. What you've paid for. Listen carefully to what I'm telling you. It was a woman that gave everything she had that got the Lord's attention, not the large amounts that came in. It was If she'd given a large amount, it was all she had that would have got the same attention. It was the sacrifice that the Lord noticed. And it's always been the most amazing thing that God has drawn to generosity. It's not the rich that build God's kingdom, it's the generous. You didn't get that. It's not the rich that build God's kingdom, it's the generous. In fact, Peter was struggling to understand what God wanted from him through a vision of a sheet-like object with food in it and the, and the Spirit of God telling him to go with these men. He's not sure what he's clueless, actually. But the angel that should have come to him and helped him because he's one of God's special disciples went right past him to an unsaved, non-Jew who was generous. The angel and God thought it was more important to go to a generous person than to someone that is key in the spiritual kingdom. So God was impressed by the generosity of Cornelius. It really touched the heart of God. Giving really touches God because God's a giver. When I was born, I was actually born with nothing. I arrived with no clothes, no anything, and my mom had it all. She had a crib. She had, and it's true, I, I was naked. It was a sight to behold. <laughs> Wasn't that funny? Brian, stop laughing. But when I die, the clothes you see me on and the watch and the ring that I have on, it'll stay right here. It's, it, you think it's your house. You think it's your car. But you, don't, you stop paying taxes and you'll see whose it really is. It's, it's, just, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. And you've got to manage it a little better and look at it differently. You've got to look at these things differently. When you give an offering to God, the best I can describe it to my Gentile friends, what we feel, is when it comes Christmas, and you love someone very much, someone's very special, and you want to do something for them, special for their birthday or Christmas, the effort you go into buying a gift, you start finding out what would they really like? What can I do this year for them? What will really bless them? Because they mean something. Do you want to express that? And the effort you go 
to get that gift and the preparation and to bring it in and to the, all the trouble he put into that, the effort of finding, of preparing, of going after, looking for that rare thing, watching them open it and how excited they realize that you were more than just a flippant gift, a quick perfume or a tie or a socks. You were more, you meant more to them than that. That's what a gift is when you bring it to God in offering. You give it to God's people, but when you give an offering, it's actually to God you're giving it. God notices. And we in America are tippers. We are tip berserk. Because now if you buy an ice cream, they turn that screen around and they want you to tip there too. It's like everywhere you've got a tip. It's just, and if you don't, you feel embarrassed. Everyone's got to get a tip all the time. And it's our culture. So we come to church and we tip. We have discretionary money. We've got money aside in our heads that we, we will give. But there's no sacrifice involved. And why I'm telling you this is I want you to enjoy and reap the benefits of, of giving to God. And also being a wise steward. And have an expectancy of God to bless you. God can do the most amazing things. I've ministered a few times in Louisville, Kentucky. And a family, Pastor Rogers, he died. Now his son, also Rogers, runs the church. And they've always had a ministry to the down and outs in the city. And he prayed to God for at least one millionaire. And the millionaire that he got in his church, that came to his church, was 65 years old and was tired of being poor. He got tired of it. And so he borrowed money against his second Social Security check against that. And he began to do the single thing he knew to do in an effort. He's a 65-year-old man, and he began to fry chicken. You may have heard of Kentucky Fried Chicken. But he became a multi-multi-millionaire long after 65. Why I'm telling you this, he started with nothing. And he began, he doesn't to be educated. So you may be sitting there feeling like, well, I'm poor and we've always been poor and I'm too old now. It's not. God can. But, but you've got to change your mind. You've got to put yourself in a position where God can do that for you. Because God's able. God is so able. Amen. Brian, I've watched your life for years and... You have the potential. You're a hard worker. You're a high-energy person. And uh, you've, got a, you've got a kind, generous heart, but you've always lived on the lower end. And I don't know this from natural. Just always lived in that. It was never God's plan. And he wants to change your mind about everything and, and do some things for you because he's able. You get stuck in a way you think, well, I can't, but you, don't, you can't see your way through it. But God, God can open up doors you cannot dream. And God isn't meant for you to be poor. He's meant for you to have wealth so you can take care of the poor, take care of the needy. That's God's way. That is the way of the Lord. There's two places that you get blessed when you give to God. is to the poor and to his kingdom. That's scriptural over and over and over. He says, Jesus said, if you give even to, the, to one of these, you will get your reward, even a glass of water. That's God's way. I want you to prosper. I want you to start reaping and expecting God to bless you. God's not broke. And I want you to be wise with your money. I don't want you to be foolish anymore. If you have money, don't have to spend it all today. It doesn't have to go out. Don't be in a hurry. Always start saving. Start being wise. You know, Moses, what he did was he gave a tenth and he, and he saved a tenth. And he invested a tenth. He started using money to 10% to invest and just start doing something small. If you don't start somewhere, you'll never go anywhere. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit nothing. Okay, so we, this, this church is going to be a wealthy prosperous church so we can so we can bless so we can bless other people not just get wealthy but we can we can do God's work what do you think of that Amen. that's right we're in the storefront and God owns all of this 
the whole Escondido, the whole area owns. So we can believe God. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. I know you're all excited about all that. Am <clears throat> I boring you yet? All right. So in John chapter 4, and I like the book of John. John was an interesting disciple. He was uh, the only one that had not died as a martyr. He was 18 years old when he met Jesus. He was a young teenager. And Jesus told everybody he loved them, but John sucked it up. And he believed that he was special. He writes, he writes five times in his book, The One Who Jesus Loved. He referred to himself as being special. Nobody else thinks that, but he thought that. And he was so sure of it, he would position himself next to Jesus at the table so they would ask him, ask Jesus, who's the one that's going to betray him? Because he was that position. He was so young, but full of zeal. He died in his 90s. He wrote the book of John in his 80s and with the help of some of his uh, Turkish disciples in Ephesus. And he wrote Revelation on the Isle of Patmos before he died. But when he wrote the book, it was way late in life after the fall of Jerusalem. And it was very interesting when he wrote it that he would recall it. And unlike the other books, which are all based from Mark, Mark was the original. Am I boring you? You're all Bible school students. The book of Mark is the first and most original book that went out to all the disciples. In fact, 242 verses from Mark are exactly copied into Matthew and 180 odd into the book of Luke. They use it as a reference point. And that's why you have parts of it so used and so reproduced that you have parts that say this was not an original manuscript because it was such a, a used book, the book of Mark. And so the, Luke, of course, was a doctor who reconstructed it from different people. And, of course, Matthew is the only book that was in Hebrew until 200 A.D. All the others went straight into Greek. So it tells us Matthew was very much aiming at the Jews, not wanting all the Greeks to get it or all the Christians everywhere. He was aiming for the Jews. He wanted the Jews to know that this is the Messiah. That was his, what we call messianic prophecies was his focus. Now, John doesn't begin with the virgin birth or doesn't begin with uh, John the Baptist, but rather in the beginning was the word. He understands and grasps the message more than the factual historical values. But in John 4, he relates a story or an account where Jesus is in Jerusalem and they are baptizing and he's witnessing and ministering to people. And they tell Jesus, they say, they're telling us, the Pharisees saying, we are baptizing more than John. The Bible says when Jesus heard this, he said, let us go back to Galilee. So he avoided that kind of high priority or fame or high profile. And on the way back, they stopped halfway through in a town called Sychar, which is in Samaria. And it's hot. It's mid middle of the day. He's sitting at the well, Jacob's well, no less. And the, the disciples went in to go get food. <clears throat> And he sat there in the shade, and a lady comes at midday, which is most unusual because people get water in the mornings and in the evenings. That's the culture. But coming middle of the day, she either was doing something with water or she was just avoiding people. But she comes there, and she meets Jesus, and she's kind of messed up. And Jesus asks for her for a drink of water, which is completely normal. The well, you have a pitcher. That's what I want to drink. And he, she spits out all her anger because if you listen, people will tell you in the first sentence what's going on in their lives. Mm -hmm. You a Jew. Speak to me, a Samaritan woman, for you, you Jews don't associate with us Samaritans. She's spitting out all her resentment and her hurt and her frustration. And Jesus knows she's had five husbands. He knows that she's living with a man, but she's not 
using that information. He's more concerned about the kingdom and about her heart. You didn't use a prophetic to show. You didn't go, girl, you're one messed up chick. What's going, what's going down in your life? I mean, not at all. He just, if you knew the gift of God. And he begins to have a conversation with her until she's ready to hear. And she's now inviting him to do something in her life. Then he approaches the topic of her being married. And once she sees that he knows about her life, she says, I perceive you're a prophet. And she switches the conversation from attacking him to a different attack. You Jews say we ought to worship God in Jerusalem, but we were taught to worship God here in the mountain by the very well that was given to us from Jacob. And so Jesus says, woman, the time is coming. You'll neither worship God here on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. You'll worship God in spirit and in truth. Then he said these words that I want to teach you tonight that are absolutely fascinating. He said, you, Samaritans, worship what you do not know. We Jews, we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Now, for years I thought he was referring to the salvation he was bringing. But he hadn't died yet. And for him to say, we Jews worship what we know, he was referring to something very different. And it began to trouble me. How were the Samaritans who were worshiping the same God, same Bible, why would they be worshiping something they don't know? Why would they be worshiping at all if they don't know him? And then I began to put it together and puzzle. Now, for you that are uninformed, you must understand the word Jew means chosen. The day you got born again, because many are called few are chosen, you are, in the sight of God, a Jew. It's very important you grasp that, that you are joint heirs and that they are your brothers. Al-Qaeda does not persecute Hare Krishnas or Buddhists. It's Christians and Jews that they'll behead because we are the same descent, the same blood. We serve the same God. The only difference in a Jew and us is they, they do not receive the Messiah yet. They, that's what the difficult difference is with us um, mostly. Now, understand this, that they, the Jews, salvation comes from the Jews, and I began to puzzle, Lord, I don't understand. These Samaritans are worshiping God with the same Bible. They're reading the same word. Why are the Jews different? Then I realized the history of the Israeli nation has been nothing but trouble. And the salvation they know is because they went through so much difficulty that God would always deliver them. They would rejoice and sing and have songs of praise because of the great deliverance. Then I realized in a Christian's walk, and if I ask you tonight how that you know that you're saved or born again, you will give me some Bible jargon, you will tell me some scriptures, and you will give some answers you were told to recite. But if I pester you and keep on, keep on, eventually you all come down to the same answer. Well, I know God. I've experienced him. You've experienced him. Yeah, have you experienced him? And you'll stumble over some fleshly manifestation, but you'll eventually come to the same bottom line everyone does. I have been through things that only God could have helped me. See how you're saying amen? There's not a person in this room that has not experienced the salvation of God. I don't mean born again. I mean God's deliverance. It is through difficulty that you got to know him. It's through hardship that he delivered you. It is through valleys that he took you that you experienced that nobody else, it wasn't a coincidence or it kept happening so coincidentally that it couldn't be anymore. You became so aware of, an, of a supernatural intervention that he became real to you. You began to know him. 
because of his greatness and his salvation. Now, we know that we are the salt of the earth. And the salt loses flavor, then we are nothing but to be trampled underfoot. You know that scripture. You know, don't you, the salt of the earth. Salt is a strange commodity, and uh, people don't know, but I'm actually a trained uh, level three chef, and we have different kinds of salt that we use, and that uh, they refine differently, they have different granules, and, and we like to use uh, kosher salt because it's easier to work with and you can see it, how much you put in. You never can oversalt something with kosher salts, it's just not possible. And however long you leave the salt on, that's how much it will be. You know how to work with salt. But if it's got no flavor, it's nasty. There's different kinds of salt. You have pink Himalayan salts and different kinds of salts from all over the world. And, but salt is cheap. It's inexpensive. It's plentiful. It's not an expensive commodity. <clears throat> and yet if it's got no flavor, it's useless. That's what Christianity is. We're supposed to change everything. Because without salt, you'll die. And if you have too much of it, it'll, it'll mess you up. So you've got to have the right amount of salt in your life. It's where God designed us. And we have been to touch and influence the world powerfully, right? But if we lose our flavor, we're worthless. And then the verse right before that in Mark 9, verse 39, Jesus talking about, the, about saltiness. He said, everyone, not some people, everyone is salted by fire. And for some reason, in all my Christian walk, I never saw that scripture. It just came alive to me the other day, and I realized I didn't know that. So we get salty by fire. Nobody likes the fire, but when you're going through something, God's just making you salty. So you can be, because you have more effectiveness and more compassion. The more stuff you've been through, the more you can relate. The more, the different attitude. People are so judgmental until they go through something. Until they fail or they go through a crisis, then they change. But they're very quick to have an opinion about someone while they're not struggling themselves. So to get salty, God will let you go through the fire. So if you're going through fire, you better get salty quickly to get that fire over with. Are you hearing me? Why am I telling you that is because the whole journey of your life, God wants you to know him. You on this earth, not just to have children and have a career, you're here to know him. And God is doing so many things and using so much that you have every opportunity to connect with him. Now it gets more intense than that. And just today I was watching your pastor online and she was speaking about Matthew 7. And Jesus said, in that day you'll say, didn't we cast out devils? Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And I'll say, I don't know you. Not that you don't know me. I don't know you. And that's so imperative to me. I think it's my biggest anxiety in life is when Christians become disconnected from God. They know him. The vine and the branch no longer has fruit and has to be Disconnected, has to be taken away, has to be cut off. And that stresses me. The ten virgins, they all had lamps. They all were virgins. They all were expecting the bridegroom to come. But five were not prepared when he did come. And he said, I don't know you when they came. So it was the lack of relationship, the disconnection of intimacy that got them to the place that God didn't know them. Why am I telling you that? Is because... Of all the things in your life that's the most important, it's your intimacy with the Lord. 
And the devil's going to keep you busy. He's going to every time keep you away from that moment with the Lord. You can't have intimacy with God on the level that you need on the way to work. You can't have it when you walk in the dog. You can't have it when you're doing different tasks. You've got to give God time that's just his. It doesn't have to be ours, but it has to just be his alone, that you can connect with him. And it's not about the shopping list and all the things and the warfare and the Israeli war and the, and the car with the flat tire and the building and the funds and the job. It's not about the shopping list. It's just about you and God. And connecting with him and worshiping him. And if you will take time with the Lord, he will talk to you every time you wait on him. Don't even take your Bible. Just spend time worshiping. But you must be alone where there's no phone, no distractions. And spend the 10, 15, 20 minutes a day, every day, because you need it more than God does. The devil's doing all he can to keep you from being connected. So you're hearing me, and that's what's going to cause you to not only connect to God, but touch everything around you. Job prayed in Job 9, if there was only one that could arbitrate, connect me, that could touch one hand with God and the other hand with me. And so when we go to work and we've been touching God, it spills over from us onto other people. If you're not touching God, then they won't get a whole lot from you. So you've got to keep that connection. It's the most important thing in your life. I need you to understand your intimacy with God is paramount. And so many of you love God. You're serious about the Lord, but it's been a while that you spent time with the Lord. It's been a while that you took time out. You want to do something dramatic and fast and pray well? Just take time out each day, 15 minutes alone with God. You can find time. You can find those few minutes and just spend time with Him and wait on Him and love on Him. Just tell Him how wonderful He is. If you're not sure what to pray or how to praise Him, start reciting all the things you're thankful for. Start with your health, with your home, with your car. You may have a car that's giving you difficulty, but you've got a car. You may not like the job you're in, but you've got a job. They start thanking Him for what you do have. We always whine about what we don't have or think we should have. Start reciting. Remember His benefits. Start remembering what God has done because God is like a magnet to thankful people. He loves thankfulness. He can't stay away. So start praising Him. You enter His courts with a thanksgiving spirit. So start thanking Him. Before you know it, you'll be praising Him and you'll be enjoying His presence. And once you get used to that after a few days, you will not live without it. And your life will grow from there. You cannot live without being intimate with the Lord. It's very important. And so when you go through fires, because God's just giving you some saltiness. He's just working inside of you. You know him from all the hardship you've been through. But he's shown himself to you when you've called upon him. God's not stressed if you only call upon him when you need him. It doesn't bother God at all. The prodigal son's father was okay that the son came back just because he was hungry. He didn't come back to restore, repent, or make right. He just came back. He was hungry. And the dad didn't, didn't even give him a chance to repent. He restored him right away. That's what the father did. He said, that man, you know, he was that prodigal son. The Bible says that he wanted to eat the food the pigs were eating. That's pretty low because that stuff is seriously nasty. Now, if he could not afford food, he know he couldn't afford soap. So I always wondered if the father smelt him from away or saw him far off. But either way, my, my practical Jewish nature says, well, you said, quick, bring him a robe. I'm going, could we just first shave him and, and just disinfect him before we put clothes on him? And, but the, the, the father wants to cover him. 
while everyone's trying to expose your sin and your failings, God wants to cover you. He wants to restore you. Put shoes on your feet and a ring on your finger. He wants to bring you right back. His love for you is so amazing. And he, just because he came back, not because he deserved it or repented, he came back. That's all that matters. God is so into you, you have no idea. You think you have to qualify for God to love you? No. He is so intensely in love with you, so much. He's, you're made in his image. Not a single angel, not a single angel that fell was worth saving. You were to die for. Amen. You are that important to God that He's not only redeemed you and redeems you every day, that He's so close to you, He's focused and concentrates on you intensely. You're that important to Him. No matter what it looks like, don't measure God's love by your circumstances. That's immature foolishness. Measured only by His Word. He is exactly what He says He is. He loves you. There's no condition. I'm, the, I'm a bad father, and I love my kids that disappoint me, but nothing will change the way I love for them. And God calls me an evil father. You didn't know that? Jesus said in Luke 11, you then, who are evil, give your children good gifts. Talking to your disciples. So in comparison to God, we are evil parents because he is such a good God. And I love my kids. I can't imagine how much God loves unconditionally. You feel like you've messed up. I must forgive you 70 times 7. But when God, when they come to the Lord and we've done a, done a few mistakes, not 70 times 7, we feel ashamed. The devil keeps us away from God, but I've got to forgive you 70 times 7. I can expect God to forgive me that much too. Don't you think? So I come back and I was, in fact, you don't even have to gnash your teeth and cry and bawl and squall. All you've got to do is confess. If you confess your sins, he's just enough to forgive you. That's what the word of God says. I didn't write it. It's in the Bible. Are you hearing me? Just confess and he's going to forgive you. So don't run from him. Run to him. Run to him. He loves you. He's got you covered. Can you say amen to that? Amen. I hope I taught you something tonight. Yes. All right. No more poverty in this church ever again. <coughs> no more depression. It's not allowed. No more defeat. <coughs> we are God's people. We're the salt of the earth. So don't wait to get to be made salty. It's not fun. Fire is not fun. Yeah, fire is not fun. All right. So, what is your husband's name again? I've forgotten. Terry. Mr. T. Pick five people. Go on. But you must move to do it today because the Lord's coming back. <clears throat> I, like, I like fast. Quick. Tell them to stand up. Stand up. Start repenting. Who? That's. You're not together. Okay, you're separate. You you're apart. What's his name? Michael Rotherbottish. Is that your wife next to you? Fiance. Did you know that, ma'am? Stand up, please. You knew you're his fiance, right? Yeah. Well, stand up. Go ahead. Just checking. I'm just kidding. I'm a joker. It's okay. So you can smile. So one more. You have one. You have one more. Those are couples. Don't count as two. You, uh, it's a, it's a intelligent thing. Come on, just pick anybody. 
especially those that don't often get words. That, look at me. That's why, that's why I ask you to do it, because I don't want to get the same people every time. I'm trying to pick people that don't get Yeah, words. pick people you don't like. Robin doesn't like you, Robin. So what's your name? Justine. Are you married, Miss Justine? Okay, well, soon to be a... Are you, his fian, are you the fiancé? Did you know that? Stand up. Are you sure you want to marry her? What's that? Are you sure? Uh, I wonder if that girl's got some fire in her soul. I want to warn you. Ooh. Nothing happens slowly around her. You're going to have to keep... Keep your head on your shoulders, dude, because that girl, mm-mm. She got fire in her soul, fire in her bones. You, you don't want to get her upset because she's, she got vision. So what, you, what do you do, sir? Yeah. Your active duty in the military. Navy. Do you know what you do there? All right. We're sweating hard drops in the blood and the fire for Fighting war, right? No, no, in the office. None of that. Okay, you drink coffee. I got it. That's what they pay you for. <laughs> Lucky girl. What do you do, ma'am? Uh, hospice. hospice. Thank you for doing that. You, God gave you a fire in your soul, and you don't apologize for it. You are extremely prophetic. God wants you to flow prophetically, and you've got to put behind you what's behind you. You've got some real doozes in your family, things that really hurt your soul. You've got to shake it off, put it behind you. You've and no more will you have to defend yourself or spit out any of that hurt and anger. You're going to shake it off now and let the words of life come out of you. Do you understand? You are, you are a wonderful, wonderful lady, no matter what they've said. Because as you say, the, word, well, the words don't affect, they do. They absolutely affect you. And I'm releasing you from their judgments and all people's opinions. But you could never please them. With someone that was never enough. But God says you're more than enough for me. And you'll do really well. God's going to bless you. You've made some mistakes. You've done some stupid things. It's true. <laughs> but that's yesterday's news. And we've all done it. You're not the only one. We've all made mistakes. And that's why he's come to redeem us. That's what makes you more compassionate for people that you realize that no one's perfect. And God will use you. God wants you to be happy. He's a little slow. I want to warn you. It takes a while. to you quick. You get decisions quick. You make quick decisions and get things done. You, you always got new vision. He's a little slow. And he's stuck. He likes the same toothbrush, the same toothpaste. Likes the same. It's just who he is. You're not. You're all new and fresh. Let's move the sofa. And let's not, he says. But the, <clears throat> it's, just, it's just his nature. But he will be nice in the beginning. But he will. He will you'll see what it, But that stability is what you need. You need, the, you need someone safe. And that's who he is. He'll do really well. He won't stay in the Navy. You'll be leaving the Navy. And God's got a whole lot of a career for you because somehow success goes before you and goes from behind you. Even with the Navy, you've changed an enormous lot of stuff. You've got a lot of credibility. They couldn't do more for you, but you had enormous success because the favor of God's born. You come from a family and bloodline of beautiful Christians, and that you've, just, you've inherited stuff from God's blessing. And him has given much as much required, and so God expects a whole lot more from you because you've had so much privileges in the things of God. God's protected you so much and blessed you because of the prayer. So your children, your, they will all be blessed. That's God's promise to you. Thank you. Get married soon. Thank you. All right. What's your name, fiance? Liz. And what's your name, dude? Michael. Row the boat ashore. Right, that one. And you are getting married when?
All right, the actual engagement. You know, the, the, the culture is very different here in this country from where we are. We come from, when we, get engage, when we get engaged, it's because with a date in mind. That's how we do it. It's, what you're doing is a betrothal. But engagement is, well, we're getting married that day. This is the ring to... We've set the thing in motion. So when they just say, well, sometime, we're not sure. It's like, whoa, uh, that doesn't make sense to me. So I'll pick a date for you. Let me see. <laughs> I'm thinking like early February is what I'm thinking. Just saying. That's easy stuff. Don't make complicated stuff like that. Don't make it. People want to make a big, wig. just get married. Go to the courthouse if you have to. Don't make a big thing of it. To get it married. If you know you're meant to be together, just get it done. So what do you... <laughs> What do you do, Michael? Do you work? That's what I want to know. Now, the thing is, your strength is your sweet spirit. You've got a very sweet heart. You've got a really kind, gentle spirit. You really do. Uh, it takes a lot to make you angry. It just, just doesn't get there very easily. Even before you were saved, you're just not like that. It's not your nature. And it was really a happy day when you were born. Because it's a real call of God on your life. But you have to do the faithful thing in the, in the marketplace before you can work in God's house. But there's definitely a call of God in your life. There's no question. One day you will pastor. You will lead your own church. It's God's plan for you. You have a lot of music inside of you too, but you've got to be faithful to everything. And you have, right now you have no direction. So you've got to be more careful and you've got to just, whatever your hands find to do, work. Just work. It's good to, by the sweat of your brow, to earn your bread that you eat, the scripture says. So it's good to find a job, even in the grocery industry. You know, it's okay if you want to pack the shelves. But that's not a big deal, but God's got to call on you. Whatever you do, do with all of your heart and God will take care of the rest. Got it? Your heart's good. As for you, ma'am, you're an interesting little lady. You don't look for trouble. It seems to always find you. It's the funniest thing. And uh, there's no wickedness or evil in your heart. You've got a sweetheart. Although there's some things about you that's most unusual, people don't have to wonder what you're thinking. You're going to tell them. And uh, you just get in trouble for it so often. And, and people misunderstand you and your family and you fight for survival because it wasn't, wasn't fair, was not your portion. You were, someone else got all the credit and all the attention, and you seem to always get the back burner. But God anointed you. God's got a plan in your life. And the journey you're on is the same journey he's on. God's developing you for his ministry and for his kingdom. Both of you will work for God. There's no question in my mind. You've got to stay on track. Don't let bitterness or anger get in your heart. Don't let it overwhelm you, especially from your family side, because they don't get you. They don't. You must be gracious to them. If you love those that are kind to you, that's what the world does. You've got to love those that are unkind to you. And then you, you interest the Lord, right? I bless your relationship. I bless you as, a, as workers together, as husband and wife in the future. I bless you that you walk in the righteousness of God and do what's right before the Lord. Be submitted. Uh, I'm assuming in this church, be submitted here. When I say submit, really submit. Just, whatever they tell you to do, just do it because God's going to lift you up. Got it? All right, Michael. I like your spirit, Michael. All right, what's your name in front of your little ro- what? Uh, I forgot your name. Robin. Are you married, Miss Robin? No. Would you like to be? Sure. <laughs> well, I'm going to just, I'm going to take your picture for the internet. <laughs> I'm bad. <laughs> she's, she's willing. She's, let's do it. Okay. 
She's so cute. So you're in this church, right? You're in this church. God has given us another chapter to your life. You thought your life has come to an end, but it was the chapter that came to an end. He's opened up a new chapter, and I release you from the control of other of people in your own family that want to keep telling you how you ought to live and where you ought to live, what you ought to do. You're not going to adhere to them. You are going to do what God wants you to do. And you're not meant to be an old lady. You, it's, it's not for you to sit with the old ladies and whine and complain. It's just not who you are. You have this young heart and spirit, and you just want to get on and positive. so positive, and just want to live, and that's what God wants you to do. Just whatever your hands find, just do it. Don't look for, a, look for a title. Just do whatever your hands find, and God will do the rest. But you have a real shepherd's heart. You're a real mother's heart, and you care. And others in the family don't understand it. <laughs> that's their problem. Just do God, what God wants you to do. I see health and strength on you as a portion that God has, a, has assigned to you because you have work to do. So just keep going. God's good plans. You're in the right place. You're an asset to this church. Thank you. What's your name? Julie. Julie. Were you married, Miss Julie? Yep. Would you like to be? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Boy, I've got a lot of work ahead of me tonight. <laughs> what do you do? I do physical therapy massage. I like that. Yeah, physical therapy, physical therapy massage. All right. Where's your mom? Where's your mother? What's her name? Anne? Pam. God's reaching out to Pam and bringing some healing in her life. And there's been a gap between you and her that God was the bridge. It's like no matter how hard you try, this is can't close that gap, can't bridge that thing. And God says, I'm going to do it. But just give me time. I'm working. I'm working. Um, you've also been misjudged. People have judged you wrongly. And uh, you didn't always do it right. I mean, you didn't always behave the best. But you have a much more beautiful heart than people know. You, there's, no, there's no evil. There's no unkindness, no harshness in you. But you had to fight because you got bruised and hurt by people that are supposed to have loved you. You don't do well with betrayal. You don't do well with abandonment and lies. It's just not who you are. And it seems like a pattern had kept happening. But you kept getting drawn to the wrong people. And we're not going to allow that to happen anymore. We're going to help watch over you that you go in the right direction. Yeah, well, it's broken already. We're just going to make you the right decisions, keep the patterns going right, healthy. You're very smart. You're a hard worker. You do the therapy, and that's all that's very good. But you're very smart. Uh, the thing was, in the years gone by, you were too fast. You were impulsive, and you've slowed down through lots of bruising. But now don't slow down too much because God wants you to give your own business. And it's got nothing to do with therapy, but it, it, it'll be really developed. But you are very smart, and, and you're a good communicator. People like you, and you're able to do it. God's really going to have your own store. It's part of God's plan. And you will have the best stuff, and you'll do really well. But it'll be a haven of ministry and blessing in there. Amen. Not new age, new Holy Ghost. All right. All our talk made them get together. Look at that. What's your name, sir? What's your name? David. And this is Bathsheba? No, no, no. What's your name, girlfriend? What's your name? Carla. Carlin. How long, how long are you guys married? How many? Four. Forty. What, we are 10 years old and you got married? 
can't be 40 years. It's not possible. All right. How many children do you have in 40 years? Three. That's the best you could do in 40 years? And grandkids? How many? Well, I have 10. I used to like grandkids, and now all I am is an ATM. My grandkids honestly believe that I have an endless supply. Yeah, it's amazing. So, what do you do for a living, sir? Okay, what do you do, ma'am? What, what? I can't hear, it's very soft. Teacher, school teacher. You were, and now? Nothing, you're a pastor, nothing. That's what they do, nothing. Isn't that true? I don't know. It's what, I don't, I don't, yeah. here's, the, here's the thing I must tell you, that you are vitally valuable and important to this, this house. You are extremely valuable as ministry, and uh, you, you may not realize it or feel that, but you are. When you're not here, people feel it. You make such a difference to so many people. You are so stable and so upright and so godly. It just spills out of you all the time. And, and both of you have a wonderful ministry of, of exhortation and teaching. All that stuff is inside of both of you. You're a blessing. As for you, sir, you're tired. Physically, you kind of had to push the envelope a little harder for you lately. You just haven't got the strength. And God is rearranging your life to give you a little more space. And he's got some things for you to help you financially. I see some investments you tried that didn't work. And God's going to open up the right doors for you. He wants to show you what he can do and say, now you do it after all these years. Now. So, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I'm training you and working in you. But you have, the, you have a heart of absolute gold. You have a man with such a noble, noble character. Incredible. Just a, one of a breed, one of a kind. You know, a total separate breed. And both of you are just good people. And so you've got a great history, and your children will never wander away from the things of God because of your life. It's just, it's just amazing how it spills onto them and onto their friends even. They can't keep friends that will not serve God. They just seem to disappear because God is everywhere around you. This is your church. This is your home. This is where you're meant to be, not sitting at the back, but very involved in the house. Thank you for being here today. God bless the two of you. This is so much fun. Do you want to pick some more members that haven't been ministered to, ma'am? You're the pastor, right? You will see the holes in her trousers from all the prayer. <laughs> some Christians fast and pray. I just pray fast. What's it, Mandy? Nancy. Fancy Nancy, right? Are you married, Miss Nancy? Would you like to be? If the right person comes along. Boy, I don't know if there is. I'm married. That's too late now. 46 years. So, Miss Nancy, what do you do? You're a legal what? Assistant. That means you do all the work at the legal office. They just sign the papers. And if there's something wrong with it, they yell at you. That's what happens, right? Yeah. So this is a new chapter, a new day of your life. You've had enough disappointments and frustrations and... People keep letting you down, and you've built this expectancy to be disappointed. And I want you to change that tonight. Start expecting God to bless you. You don't think that you're lovable or enough for anybody, but it's not true. Good enough. You're more than good enough. And you've been 
just you've had to carry people your whole life, always do everything. People use you, and it just it was too hurtful to you. But God says you've got a lot of a lot to give. But there's an anger in you now because you built it up to frustration. But the real little girl that grew up was a sweet, happy, outgoing, and that's the girl that God's bringing back again. Yeah, you've lost some of your girlishness. You used to like little things gathering and collecting little things and girly things and all that's gone now you've lost interest in life and just going day to day and that's not the plan of God he wants to awaken those things in your soul again but you are a sweetheart you really are and I'm sorry for all you've been through but God's going to open up your own home to share your life with people you're going to become a real home group leader that's God's plan and really minister life to them do you understand that you're a sweetheart. As a sign to you, you've had a discomfort in your lower abdomen for a while. And when you leave this building, it'll leave you completely and never return. Thank you. Good pick. Good pick there, Pastor. What's your name? Phyllis. Hello, Phyllis. Are you married, Miss Phyllis? And what do you do, Miss Phyllis? Retired from what? Teaching school. My, my best years at school, my best five years was grade two. I, I liked the teacher. <laughs> you got that joke, didn't you, Cindy? Overseeing what? A mortuary. Oh, how lovely is that? Yeah. People are dying to get in, right? So... <laughs> You don't have because you don't ask. You, you suffer with the worst self-esteem. You just always feel like you're not worthy enough, so you don't ask. You always take the lower, everything. And that's not good enough anymore for God because you're his princess. He wants you to ask whatever you want because God will do it for you. He wants to bless you. You'll never please the family. Forget that. Even God can do that, but you please a lot of good people, a lot of people. You've been hiding away too long. You don't want to go out. You don't want to go anywhere. You make excuses all the time. Stop it. When they invite you, go. Don't make me come back here and talk to you again. <laughs> Can't be that little hermit, that little old spinster now. That's not who you are. Get out and have some fun. And you just don't want to spend any money on yourself. You, they tell you, buy this. No, I can't. That's not me. It is you. We don't want an old lady. We want to be that young woman that you really are. Stir it up again. Let's live again. Good. But there's new things coming, a whole new look and everything, a whole new young spirit because you've got life to give. You're such a great woman. You're a very, like a little encyclopedia. You know stuff about everything all the time. It's the most amazing. You throw nothing away. It's the most amazing how you'll gather everything. You have all those little things. You keep information, but you're really a wonderful lady. You're an asset and a blessing to this house, and we welcome you. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. What's your name, sir? Matt. Hi, Matt. And uh, are you married, Mr. Matt? What's his name? What's your name? No, that's it. No. Came out too fast. What's your name? Brittany. Stand up, Miss Brittany. Uh, one of my grandkids had a head of Brittany. That animal is so fast and so high energy. Do you know, you know what Brittany is? A dog? Whew. Amazing. Amazing animal. Very exhausting. So, you married legally? How long? 
15. Do you like him? She, she doesn't sound very convincing to me. What do you do for a living, sir? For the what? The fire services. I'm trying to start the fire. You're trying to kill it, right? What do you do? How many kids? How many? Just two. All right. So, sir, the Lord did a great thing in your life. You were not supposed to be alive even. Because the devil had really had a plan for you to destroy you. And it's a strange journey you came on from your, uh, where you came from. And yet you not only survived, you overcame victoriously. You have a real ministry to coach young people. You're called to be a coach. And like God is changing gears on you, and you're going to get where you're supposed to go. And every accusation that came your way that tried to put stuff on you will fall to the ground and have no effect. The devil's always going to accuse. He's the accuser. He's a liar. And it's all lies. Every bit of it's a lie. And God will lift you up and open up those doors. I see you in a gym. I see where they're playing ball. I hear the basketball people running with the, those sneakers, shoes, and you're helping, and you've got a whistle, and you, you're working with these young people to get them to be everything God wants them to be. And you influence them, a real father, and uh, there's some unsettled, uh, I don't know if it's a legal matter or something's happening, it's in the background, and God says, I'm going to squash it, kill it, I'm going to give you victory, I'm going to give you every bit what's rightfully yours, I'm going to watch over you. As for you, ma'am, you're a good mother and a good teacher of the word, but uh, for your children, but God's got more for you. You can get things done. You've been hiding away a little bit too, and God wants to bring you out and use you, but you've got so much to give. You're the best listener. When people talk, you listen to everything in detail. So you're going to be a real encourager and counselor. That's what God's plan for you, to help people and to really work with them. And it's, going to, it's going to generate also some funds in your life, some sort of ministry work type thing that God's got planned for you. It won't neglect your children. They'll be just fine. You've got chalk and cheese there, one very loud, lively, and one not so. It's just amazing how different they are, and they can be exhausting. It's amazing. But they won't always be that way. They'll be very fruitful trees. That's God's promise to you. You're an excellent mother, and God's got you. There's a lot of change coming right now, sir, for you financially, and God's changing gears on you and lifting up and doing things for you. He, really, he likes you. He does. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. What's it to you? The devil can go to hell, but you will not. You will go to heaven, right? We have wonderful CDs back there. I have a two-part series about, I've got a prophetic word, what I do with it now. And then I have a whole series of, on dreams. Everybody dreams. Everybody dreams. And people don't know what the dream means. And God speaks to people, whether you're Pharaoh, or whether you are Pontius Pilate's wife, or whether you are the Magi, whether you Joseph, who made decisions of his life based on dreams. And you need to understand your dreams. Get the book or listen to the audio and uh, learn how to do your dreams. It's very important. I'm very grateful to be. I'll be back tomorrow night at the Bible school. At what time is it? 6.15, I'll be here. And thank you for letting me be. If you didn't get a word, it just means I must come back another time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Prophet Ed. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we want to uh, bless his ministry now, so we're going to receive an offering for him. So if you go ahead and prepare that, we'll put up the uh, information again on the screen. So if you want to text, remember, type in guest and then the amount to the text number. Uh, if you're doing on the drop down, there's a drop down for guest speaker. You can do that if you're using the Give app 
or if you want to just use the envelope in the seat pocket in front of you, you can just write big on the ed or something like that. So when we receive it, we know to count it separately because we will um, write one check for him at the end to bless his ministry. You know, he does it so easily that you think that it's that just the way God speaks, it comes out naturally. That's years and years and years of intimacy with the Lord. Obviously, he stands in the office of a prophet, but that's years of training and listening and pressing into the Lord to be able to hear that quickly and that precisely. And that's a word from God. Like he said, hide that in your heart, get the recording, listen to it over and over. But, you know, when God gives you something, like he said, it's, it's like that sacrificial gift back to God saying, thank you, God. Thank you for this, the blessing that man's ministry, because that's, that's what he's done for years to be able to bring you a word so easily when you probably needed it most. So we want to that's our church. We're a generous church, and we want to make sure we, we bless him. And all of the money, well, like I said, will be going to him uh, on Monday night. Remember, Monday night is only open to our Bible college students and online students and our graduates. So but make sure you're here by 6.15. And, yes, he will be giving prophetic words as well tomorrow night. So that's great for you guys. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, I will pray and then we'll receive it. Thank you, Father God, for uh, Prophet Ed's ministry, Lord. We pray for increase, increase, increase in his ministry, Father. Uh, Lord, that you'd increase in even the way you speak to him and what he sees and how he sees, Lord, that his heart's desires would be met this year. Father, I thank you for open doors for him, Lord. I thank you for uh, increase, God, in the finances to do what he wants to do and increase in raising up new prophets, Lord. We bless him in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, well, go ahead and receive the offering for me. Thank you guys so much. And um, yeah, I hope you all have an awesome, awesome week. Hopefully you get some time with your family, get some time to take a, a break and be thankful. Like he said, it's Thanksgiving time to be grateful, right? To be grateful for Jesus, to be grateful for Jesus is number one on the list. But hopefully you get to... Um, relax as well in between all the eating, right? All the good stuff, yeah. Well, thank you guys for coming out. I hope you have an awesome night. And for the rest of our clan, we'll see you back here, Bible College students, tomorrow night, Monday night, on time we're starting. Oh, yeah, don't forget the books and CDs in the back. Mm -hmm.